Hey everybody, it's David Burkus. I am so excited. My new book, Under New Management, launches in just a few short months. If you want to get a special preview of the book and find out more about it, I've put together some awesome previews and pre-order bonuses for first movers. To get on that list, text first mover to 33444. That's first mover, all one word, to 33444, or go to com first mover. Now, on to this episode of the Leader Lab Podcast. Hi, this is Jean-Philippe Vergne, and you're listening to Leader Lab. So who are you and what do you do? So um, I'm, a, I'm an assistant professor of uh, strategy and organization at uh, Ivy Business School. Um, at Western University in Canada, and uh, essentially for the last uh, 10 years I've been uh, researching how uh, socially contested uh, and illegal organizations affect the birth, the death, and the renewal of industries um, that are operating at the vanguard of uh, capitalist economies. Um, so I, I started, uh, my interest started with uh, the expansion of inter- international trade uh, in the modern age, so in the 16th, 17th, uh, and 18th century. Um, and then I moved on to um, uh, much more recent topics, uh, including the global weapons industry, uh, cryptocurrency, uh, and uh, industries that are developing uh, in outer space today. And what I'm really interested in um, is to understand how um, operating uh, in legal gray areas actually can uh, unleash new innovation potential for industries. And a lot of these new innovations are actually uh, uh, brought to these industries by something that I call uh, pirate organizations. Hmm. See, you could have just led with the pirates. You could have just said, I write about pirates. No, I'm kidding, um, <laughs> because the context was really good at it. I, I think when – okay, so let me back up. My first experience with pirates was, of course, Pirates of the Caribbean in Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida. And they looked really, really cool. All right. It looked like it's a pirate's life for me. And I'm going somewhere with this. So feel me out. I don't want to cheapen your research, but I'm going somewhere. Then you find out that they're sort of like they're bad. They're always pirates are bad. And yet for some reason, right, despite the illegal activities and all that sort of stuff, as a culture, we've always had sort of a draw to pirates. And it wasn't just when Johnny Depp came along and made movies out of the old ride, but there's always been this sort of historical romantic fascination with pirates. And when I read the pirate organization, I think I finally figured it out. And that's because capitalism needs pirates. Essentially in a free market system with sort of, sort of without pirates is usually not a free market system as you write about. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that. Uh, I think there's a lot of confusion um, in the, in the public debate when we talk about capitalism. Uh, and this confusion is like, uh, you know, people equate capitalism with, with a free market society, free market economy. But I don't think that's uh, that has uh, ever been the case. And actually, a lot of the development of uh, capitalism uh, goes hand in hand with the rise of uh, the nation state. And uh, the idea of having a centralized government will, which will act as a, a central authority to determine new rules, new norms of exchange in industries, in various industries. Um, and this is a very, a pretty good system, actually, that has uh, really created a lot of uh, wealth if you, since, since the 16th, since the 17th century. 
Um, however, this system shows its limitations when uh, massive waves of radical innovation are opening the way for new industries, where it is very difficult to determine uh, um, appropriate rules of exchange, uh, determining who can legitimately claim uh, ownership rights, uh, sh some share of profits, uh, and this is this is when these uh, legal gray areas um, appear and create uh, uh, contested terrain. Uh, and on the one hand, uh, we usually have incumbent companies that are you know facing new challengers, new disruptors, uh, and then we have uh, radical innovators. Uh, that are sometimes called pirates and that are um, advocating new ways of doing business. And, and what we have in the middle is that governments that are a little bit stuck in the, in the middle and they don't know with whom they should be siding. And I guess a very, a very uh, current example of that is Uber uh, in the taxi industry and beyond, uh, which is a company that has been accused literally of, of piracy in many places uh, in the world and most recently in, in Spain where you could see all these uh, traditional incumbent taxi companies that were on strike and were handing out flyers uh, to passengers that saying that uh, Uber was, was a pirate and that it should be banned. And, and yet at the same time, I mean, it, it's funny that, they're, that those two sentences go together so often, that Uber is a pirate and hence it should be banned. Because, I mean, you in the, in the book... You talk about organizations from, you know, as early as fighting the East India Company, which, you know, unfortunately, most of our familiarity with the history behind that is actually from Johnny Depp movies. But as early as that and in through radio and in through the Internet, et cetera, you have this idea that the pirates almost help us figure out uh, how to create sort of truly free markets, how to navigate, navigate. That's a funny um, metaphor to use, given that it's pirates. Um, these different gray areas. I mean, it's we sort of need the pirate organization. But actually, to 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 get further in that, let's talk about what is the pirate organization, as you call it. Yeah. So it's a let, let's say it's an abstract uh, concept that we uh, uh, you know that we put together with my co-author uh, Rodolphe Durand to describe the commonalities that we observed across time, across history, when we were comparing different forms of, of piracy. And so what different types of uh, pirate organizations have in common is, uh, one, they're advocating for uh, a certain number of values uh, around openness, around uh, free trade, around transparency. Uh, so, for instance, the sea pirates uh, were advocating for uh, the ability to but freely use uh, sea routes to be able to trade without having to uh, um, detain any ownership right on the oceans and on the seas, uh, which was the, the models that the incumbent companies uh, were promoting at the time. So they were being given monopoly rights by governments and they were literally uh, uh, claiming private ownership rights on portions of the oceans. Uh, and pirates were saying like, um, maybe we could share this, maybe we could... Uh, think of uh, the oceans as the common good of humankind and if we were all able to trade freely uh, on the oceans th this could benefit everyone um, which leads me to maybe the last uh, commonality that a lot of pirate organizations have in common is that they tend to be um, uh, fighting against existing monopolies or oligopolies and if you look if you go back to the uber example this is exactly the claims that uh uber management and uber ceo uh are making today they're saying 
taxi companies essentially um, own uh, monopoly rights, and to maintain these monopoly rights that may in certain cities be inefficient and detrimental to the consumer, uh, they have to engage in a number of you know, politic political tactics, lobbying, um, sometimes even corruption uh, would claim the, the, the management of Uber. And we're here to break down these monopolies and open up the, the taxi market again. And so if you compare these different forms of piracy uh, in cyberspace, when you had organizations fighting against the monopoly of AT&T in the 70s, uh, on the high seas in the 17th century, or today in the tax industry, you find exactly the same principles that are being defended by the pirates. Well, so, I, and I, I have to add one thing. I, I mean, I love that idea, right, that in reality, we sort of need pirates to break open free markets where there was uh, corruption, where there was actually sort of government-sanctioned government monopolies under the guise of, of pure capitalism, pure free markets that weren't really all that free. I, I wonder, though, so you have a chapter about Pirates versus Corsairs, and I'm trying to think in the Uber example, like, are we suddenly, who are the Corsairs going to be in this uh, this struggle, which I think is funny. But let's let's talk about that, because one of the interesting things about when these sort of wars start, uh, start happening is that a lot of times the people who want to maintain the monopolies actually utilize pirates th themselves, and that's where we get from this idea that you're, you can be a pirate or a Corsair. Yeah, that's right. So a uh, uh, very interesting feature of uh, most of these uh, contexts is that when when capitalism opens up uh, um, new territories, so the high seas uh, in the 16th century were new because of the new navigation uh, techniques, technology that allowed for international uh, travel. Uh, if you think of cyberspace in the uh, 60s, 70s, before it became the web, before it became a, a mass market uh, service, uh, it was a new territory with no rules, and the rules had to be defined. Uh, if you think at, if you think of outer space today, where you have different uh, countries competing uh, potentially for uh, mining resources on the moon, on Mars, and very soon on asteroids, uh, same. We have no rules. We have no guidelines determining who can legitimately uh, claim ownership rights on the moon or on the high seas in the 17th century, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So when that happens, essentially what you have is uh, a competition at two levels. And that's something that uh, we, we often forget when we think of capitalism. We have this idea that capitalism is like private companies competing uh, against each other. But we often forget that the first level of competition is, is like uh, nation states competing against each other. And this is very, very visible uh, at that particular point in time when there's like a radical wave of innovations opening up new territories. And, and what you see is uh, states co-opting uh, their own uh, national champions, uh, trying often trying to turn them into monopolies, powerful monopolies, uh, and use them to define the rules uh, in these new territories. So this is exactly why each European country in the 17th century uh, created a, a, a monopolistic company uh, to trade in the East Indies or in, in the Americas. Um, and uh, this is something that may happen uh, very soon in, in outer space as well. And so when they, these, these states are waging war against each other to uh, gain control over these new territories and benefit from, uh, you know, benefit economically from exploiting new resources, um, what they do is that they accuse each other, they accuse each other of being pirates. 
but of course, because there is no uh, common common set of rules that is accepted by every country, every country that's like playing in these new industries, uh, everybody is a pirate from the viewpoint of everybody else. Um, and every country is saying, well, you know, these companies that we're using to conquer these territories, we don't think they're pirates because we are allowing them. We are giving them a license. We are giving them a letter of marquee and reprisal, as it was called uh, for sea corsairs in the 17th century. Uh, but but from, from the viewpoint of every other country, uh, these corsairs are pirates because they are only authorized by one particular country, but rejected by everybody else around it. So the difference between pirates and corsair or, or privateers, uh, as they were called as well, is really a matter of perspective. Uh, there is no clear legal framework to determine whether somebody's a pirate or a corsair. It really all depends on the perspective you're taking. So, and we've seen in the in the cyberspace realm, we've seen this play out uh, relatively recently with, I mean, there was, there was the instance of, if I remember right, the United States and, and some sort of drone that was over China and suddenly the United States was under cyber attack from a bunch of different um, places in China. I think, I mean, we're still trying to figure out, actually, this is true, true to form if you're trying to get a feel for how confusing this is. If you think about the Sony Pictures hack and the movie and its connections to North Korea and all, we're still trying to figure out whether those were pirates independently, whether they were privateers acting on behalf of somebody else, and if so, who. We're, we're still, this is, I think, is a very interesting thing because it, yeah. in addition to needing the pirate organization, we also sort of, even governments need it in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think uh, it's going to be very hard to determine. Uh, who was behind these attacks and who commissioned these attacks because there's like a perpetrator, uh, but that person may well be, or that group of hackers uh, may well be agents working for somebody and determining who are the agents and who were the persons behind who commissioned the attack is very difficult. And there may be people out there who know actually uh, what actually happened, but uh, I'm not quite sure it will you know, trickle down to the media and I'm not sure we will ever know what really happened. But more generally speaking, what this particular uh, um, story uh, sheds light on is the issue of uh, data data sovereignty. Uh, what is going on going on here is like a cyber war between uh, the United States and, and China. And there's there's a lot of other countries involved, but really the clear divide is between China and the U.S. And this war started in the 90s. And since the 90s, these two countries have been, uh, you know, secretly uh, fighting in cyberspace and training their own uh, cyber uh, uh, privateers to attack the enemy. Uh, from the viewpoint of that enemy, these privateers are pirates, of course, and so they can accuse each other of piracy. But what is going, what is, what is at stake here is um, determining rules about who has sovereignty over data. Um, so, for instance, if uh, a North Korean pirate launches an attack uh, in the United States but uses uh, servers that are based in mainland China to conduct that attack, uh, it raises an issue of whether China is involved in the attack or not. Uh, another very interesting example of that recently was what happened, the, the dispute that happened between the United States government and Microsoft. Um, in, in essence, Microsoft was hosting a lot of data uh, on its servers based in uh, Ireland, and uh, the U.S. government wanted to access uh, these data, and their claim was, you are a U.S. company, and so uh, all the data that is hosted on your servers, wherever they are in the world, 
we have sovereignty power control over them and we should be able to uh, look into this data. And Microsoft was saying, well, these data, they are hosted in Ireland. So the United States government does not have the right uh, to claim control over this data because the Irish government has sovereignty over this, uh, this data. So this is an ongoing issue uh, in, in many areas of, of the internet economy, and we will hear more and more stories uh, in the next few years about that. This is really just the beginning. So and what I think is interesting about the, um, the cyberspace debate is it sort of mirrors what was going on in Britain with radio and pirate radio uh, several decades um, prior, <clears throat> which is why I ask, you know, the, the pirates that we all imagine, the ones on the high seas, we tend to sort of think, uh, okay, well, if you're not sailing, that's sort of irrelevant to you. But I think the cyberspace issue touches sort of everyone, right? And so it makes me wonder, kind of, I, I wonder your opinion, where does this all go? What does all of this mean for the state's role in capitalism, pirates and free markets? Where are we headed? Um, I think what this shows is, um, it shows the limitations of the nation state, state system. Um, because you know, every every country is always trying to defend their own economic interests, and they're using a lot of you know any means necessary to do that. Uh, some of these means are visible to the to the public; some of them are not. Um, but in any case, every country is trying to have a lot of influence in determining a set of rules that is favorable. Uh, to their particular interests when it comes to cyberspace, when it comes to uh, outer outer space. Um, and so, for instance, right now, the United States has an edge in terms of uh, uh, gaining access potentially to resources uh, outside of Earth, so on the moon or, or on asteroids. And so they're trying to push for a more fav favorable legislation allowing for private ownership of these resources with the United Nations. And this is this is where the tension happens. Uh, as long as um, uh, the source, the sole source of um, legal authority uh, comes from nation states, we will have tensions. One way to resolve this is to move one step higher and start thinking about rules at a supranational level. So whether it is with the IMF, with the United Nations or one of these supranational organizations and agree on a common set of rules. Uh, that 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 is you know located at, at one level higher than than the level of the nation state, and this is exactly what happened on the high seas, and this is exactly why we don't really have uh, so many pirates anymore and so many privateers anymore on the high seas. At some point, uh, all the maritime powers uh, gathered and discussed about rules of ownership, rules of control uh, regarding the high seas, and that happened. Uh, in the mid 19th century, and and they all agreed that a large portion of the seas eventually should become a common uh, good of humankind, and that states would only have control over the uh, oceans that are located next to their uh, coasts. And uh, and so the issue of piracy on the high seas was resolved only because nations came together and decided to uh, abandon a little bit in power and give it to uh, a supranational authority. And I think eventually the only way um, conflict in cyberspace uh, will uh, fade away is by um, being able to create such a supranational authority to determine rules. If we let China and the US and Russia and Iran and, and, and more countries like, like this, which are very active in cyberspace, uh, uh, fight forever about what are the appropriate rules, what we're going to see is more cyber attacks, more cyber war, uh, more more stories like the Sunny Hack. Hmm. 
Yeah, if you'll excuse me, I have to go buy 193 copies of the pirate organization and mail it to the UN so they can figure this thing out. Um, no, I'm kidding. The the um, the book is awesome. If you if you want, like me, as I was saying earlier, if you want a connection to why you loved pirates um, as a child and why your um, business and leadership self might really want to get down with the idea of the pirate organization, check it out. The pirate organization, lessons from the fringes of capitalism. If you want a, a peek at where we're headed on a lot of different issues. Check it out as well. Again, the book, The Pirate Organization. JP, I wonder, though, if we could switch from the book to you and ask you a couple questions. Uh, the first is actually about books. What are you reading right now? Um, so maybe I'm going to surprise you, but right now I'm reading Alice in Wonderland. Um, and I actually uh, spend quite a lot of my free time reading books that have nothing to do with my um, specific research interests around uh, business, industry, evolution, strategy. Uh, and that's actually a very good way for me to, uh, you know, get some new ideas and take a different perspective on things. And actually, this whole project that I started around piracy uh, began with me reading books about cyber attacks that had nothing to do with uh, the work I was doing as a PhD strategy at the time. And uh, this is how I made the connection. I was reading that book on, on, on cyber attacks while visiting uh, a museum in Amsterdam about maritime history. And so there was a lot of stuff about sea piracy there. And I made the connection hey, while visiting the museum uh, at the same time I was reading the book on cyber attacks and started making these connections between different forms of piracy. So right now I'm, I'm reading Alice in Wonderland, and this is a wonderful exploration into the limitations of logic. Uh, the book was written by a mathematician, a logician, Lewis Carroll, who came up with this fantastic fictional tale that actually explores the limits of, of the logic uh, in the 19th century. And uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful investigation uh, about science, actually, but also very poetic. Hmm. And so, you know, the, the next question is, what's next for you? I'm starting to wonder if maybe there's uh, some interesting connections there. If you think about, you know, your strategy professor, there are limits Certainly, we've learned there are limits to the logical analysis that so often we use uh, strategy. So, you know, Al Alice in strategy land or something like that. For, although, uh, so I'll ask what's next for you. And, and I should ask because of the way the pirate organization works. What's next for you? And will it be in French? Um, so what next? So probably it may be in French. I'm working on a new research project uh, out of which I expect to um, uh you know, publish a number of research articles with actually a team. And that, that is kind of new for me. I recently uh, started a uh, research uh, center that is called the uh, Crypto Capitalism Research Center um, at Ivy Business School. And what we're exploring is the limits of organization itself, the, limit of the, the limits of, cor of the corporation as we know it. Uh, and one concept that I'm particularly interested in is that of the decentralized autonomous corporation, which is a new legal object, a new legal entity, but also a new economic entity. And a very good example of that that most people would have at least heard of is Bitcoin. And uh, essentially, uh, it forms a decentralized autonomous corporation where users are connected to transact economically using cryptographic protocols. Uh, and all these transactions are recorded uh, in a transparent fashion in a public ledger called the blockchain. Uh, and which actually allows people to uh, transact uh, in a decentralized fashion without any kind of hierarchy and to fund uh, new economic initiatives by having this decentralized autonomous corporation uh, emit cryptocurrency. 
which is a, a very bad analogy. Would say it is like this is this is how decentralized autonomous corporations do an IPO. But it's a very bad analogy because they don't have a CEO, they don't have management, and they don't have shareholders. Um, but they can they can create new capital uh, and to fund their new initiatives. So these decentralized autonomous corporations, uh, I think they're on the rise. They're spreading rapidly. Right now, they're they're confined to the payments industry and the financial sector, but they will very soon go way beyond that and affect any industry that's out there. Uh, this is coming in the next you know ten to twenty years. So I created this research center to start investigating this uh, issue. We're we're kind of uh, taking the lead here because there's not so many business schools in the world that have been looking at this uh, until now. And uh, and so yeah, hopefully some research papers will come out of that. And I'm working on a new book project, perhaps the first version of which will be uh, published in French. In French. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, and for those of you that are wondering why I asked that question, the Pirate Organization uh, was first published in French. Had huge, huge acclaim. Took a while for us to get it uh, in English, but I'm so glad we did. Uh, so again, the book is the Pirate Organization: Lessons from the Fringes of Capitalism. Check it out. In the meantime, JP, thank you so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab. Thanks a lot, uh, David. I'm very glad I was part of the Leader Lab, uh, Leader Lab podcast series.